1: James continues to unpack here what real faith looks like. He signaled to us back in chapter 1 that he wanted to talk about the effect that real faith has on the way that saved people speak. In chapter 1, verse 26, he said, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So if a person is really saved, if they have really and truly taken hold of the grace of God in Christ, then that miracle will show up noticeably in the way that they talk. According to James, an unbridled tongue signals an unconverted heart. That's what he said in chapter 1. And now here in chapter 3, he begins to unpack that in considerable detail. So hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James begins with a necessary warning to his fellow elders and teachers along with all those who aspire to that office. He begins there, according to James Adamson, since in speech in which most of the teacher's work is done, it is even harder than in bodily action to avoid the sin of error, willful or involuntary, Close quote. As a pastor and teacher, I can certainly confirm that perception. It is almost impossible to avoid sinning with your tongue. I speak for a living. I talk to people on the phone. I counsel people in my office and at the coffee shop. I teach a preaching workshop. I mentor young leaders. I produce a podcast. I preach on Sunday mornings, sometimes multiple times on Sunday mornings. So I can confirm that it is a rare day when I don't go home thinking about something I said that I ought not to have said. Sometimes it's just a slightly sarcastic comment directed toward a coworker. Sometimes it's just a a sharing a, a little bit too much detail in a story that I ought not to have shared. Sometimes it's the error of making myself the hero of an illustration. Sometimes it is speaking confidently about something I'm actually not entirely sure of. Sometimes it is reacting with more than a little bit of anger because my pride or my tribalism has kept me from hearing and responding in a Christ-like way. Sometimes it is exaggerating. That that extra 5% to make a point a little more interesting, amusing, or memorable, I could go on all day. Literally, there is no end to the ways that I have found to sin with my tongue. And there are days when I think that I would like to go back to the job I had in university filling boxes in a warehouse while listening to sermons on my Walkman. I could go a whole day there without sinning with my mouth, largely because I could go a whole day without talking to another human being. But as soon as your job requires you to open your mouth, you run the risk of saying something that you should not. Now, is that an argument against becoming a teacher in the church? No, it is a friendly warning It is a necessary reminder since only the perfect man can bridle his tongue entirely. The rest of us need to be quick to repent, eager to improve, and open to correction. And if you aren't willing to do those things, then you certainly should not aspire to a teaching ministry. Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. I think James's main point here is fairly obvious. The tongue is a small thing relative to the rest of the body, and yet to a great extent the tongue determines the trajectory of your life. The tongue could well boast that it is really the most important part of the body. It is, in a sense, the master switch. If you control the tongue, you control the house. That seems to be what James is saying. The tongue is the master key. You aren't in control of your house if someone else is holding that key. You aren't the captain of your ship if you don't have control of the rudder. It's kind of the whole deal. This is what it means to be in possession of yourself. J. Alec Machir says here, It is not that a person strong enough to control the tongue is therefore also strong enough for every other battle. It's much deeper and more important even than that. It is rather that winning this battle is in itself a winning of all battles. Are you hearing that? The battle for the tongue is the master battle. I'll be honest with you, friends. I think the devil has us fooled here. I think we believe in our culture that it is the battle for another Member That is the master battle. Now, I think that battle is important too, but I think that obsession over sexual sin often blinds us to the danger posed by social sin. I think we often guard the back door while leaving the front door wide open to demonic attack. Now, I don't say that as an argument for caring less about sexual sin. I say that as an argument for caring more about social sin, the sins of this other member. Because according to the Bible, this is the master battle. If you learn self-control here through repentance, through prayer, through supplies of the Spirit, through accountability, disciplined and diligent watch care, that victory will bleed over into other battlefields. Just like indiscipline can bleed from one area of your life to another, so too, happily, can discipline bleed from one area of your life to another. So winning the battle here will bleed over into other challenges. The whole ship is important, of course, but you want to first fight for control of the rudder because the consequences of this part of your life being out of your control will be catastrophic. That's what James says next. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Listen to that last verse again. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Well, that's not very encouraging, is it? James just said that taming the tongue is the most important thing ever. It's the master battle. It is the one ring to rule them all. And now he's saying that no human being can ever tame the tongue. How is that helpful? You must do it, but you can't do it. What what is James doing here? Well, he is doing what Jesus often did. He is reminding us how high the bar is and how short we have become because of sin. He is reminding us that we are fallen creatures, ruined and diminished by sin, and therefore in desperate need of grace and rescue from on. High, And we'll get there, but not until James has taken us even deeper into the pit of despair. Good news is coming, but there's still some more bad news to get through first. Listen to verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Here, James provides a diagnosis. You've got bad water, he says, because you've got a bad heart. What comes out of your mouth tells the truth about what resides in your heart. Jesus said that. We presume that's where James got it from. Jesus said, Matthew 12, 34, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the reason, James says, that you've got pure water and poisonous water, blessing and cursing coming out of your mouth, is because you've got grace and sin still living in your heart. So until you sort that out, you can have all the seven-step programs in place that you like, You can put a quarter in the swear jar. You you can do whatever you like. You can't fix this problem by spanking the faucet. You need to get down there into the well. That's where your problem is. What you do and what you say always tells the truth about who you are. That's what James says next, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct... Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Are you hearing that? Because James is saying that if you are hearing bitter, jealous, ambitious words coming out of your mouth or showing up on your Twitter feed, what that means, friend, is that you've got a demon in your well. There's some kind of pipe pumping the fumes of hell into your little heart. That's why the water is coming out mixed. If your heart were all heaven, then your words would be all blessing, but you've got some hell in you. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good works, impartial and sincere. Listen to how the Puritan Matthew Henry speaks about these two sorts of wisdom. He says, first of all, Those who live in malice, envy, and contention live in confusion and are liable to be provoked and hurried to any evil work. Such disorders raise many temptations, strengthen temptations, and involve men in a great deal of guilt. So that's the bad water. You don't want that coming out of your well. That kind of wisdom comes from hell. You can't breathe the noxious fumes of malice envy and contention for too long without suffering serious consequences nobody can so if you hear that stuff coming out of you or you see that on your twitter feed you need to take immediate action there is something seriously wrong down in your well now listen to what he says about the good water the wisdom that is from above he says those who are truly wise do what they can to preserve peace that it may not be broken, and to make peace, that where it is lost, it may be restored. If your words promote peace, if they make peace, where peace has been lost, then that's good water. That's living water. That's wisdom from above. The chapter concludes with verse 18, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, there will always be people who who think this kind of counsel is just too soft. It's naive. Calvin anticipated that objection in his commentary. He states it, actually. He says, they who are carried away to evil speaking by the lust of slandering have always this excuse. What? Can we then remove evil by our courteousness? Hence, James says that those who are wise according to God's will are so kind, meek, and merciful as yet not to cover vices nor favor them, but on the contrary, in such a way as to strive to correct them, and yet in a peaceable manner, that is, in moderation, so that union is preserved. No one is saying that we can't make judgments or practice discernment. Of course we can and of course we must, but James is saying that true wisdom, the wisdom from heaven, is kind, meek, and merciful. It corrects error, but in a moderate and peaceable manner so that union is preserved. That is a teaching that is in urgent need of recovery within the wider evangelical world. We've got mixed water in our well. So how do we fix that? How do we separate bad water from good? How do you purify a poisoned well? That's the million-dollar question. Sam Alber is so helpful here. He says that this wisdom comes from God alone, as the proverb reminds us, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding, Proverbs 2.6. And as James has already told us, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, James 1.5. We cannot gain true wisdom without turning to God for it. If the source of this wisdom is God We need to be those who pray. The fact is we need to have God's perspective on our lives. We need him to humble our hearts. We need him to tame our tongues. It is why humility and wisdom go together in this passage. To truly know yourself is to know yourself as someone in need of God's grace. Closed quote. Are you hearing that? Am I hearing that? Wisdom is from above is not a technique to be mastered. It is a gospel grace to be apprehended through confession, repentance, and prayer. Thanks be to God.
0: And thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word.